Welcome to Sparrow Pictures Podcast, where we focus on the stories and not the headlines. Because we believe that stories can change the world. Get Get ready, ready, because the the show show starts starts now. Welcome back to Spiranomics for Kids. I am Abigail Thayer. Today we are going to talk about taxes. And I know that we need some taxes because if we don't, the government can't do what they need to do, not what they're doing right now, but what they need to do. Um, so we can. So let's bring on Dr. Kirk to talk about this. Hi, Dr. Kirk. Hey, Abigail. Hey, it's nice to see you. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's very good to see you too. So, we are talking about taxes today. So, can you explain why we need taxes? The government needs some taxes to provide an infrastructure, a safe country to live in with military protection and police protection and roads and and basically the ability for us to have companies to make money and to live our life, right? So, so that's the goal of taxation, but it's gotten to be way too much, right? Because now they, they've got all these different entitlements and taking care of people. And and to me, you know, that's never been the job of the government to do that. That's the, the job of us as people and of the church to take care of those in need. Never the government, but politicians like to do that because it gets them votes. And they like to use other people's money, which is taxes, to pay for all of that. Mm-hmm. So... What is the IRS? I've been hearing about the IRS. So what is the IRS? Well, the IRS is just an, an agency that collects people's money, right? So so whether our tax income taxes are 20% or 30% or 40%, right? All of that money goes to the IRS and the IRS sends it to the Treasury Department to actually pay all of the bills, right? So the IRS is simply the collection arm for the people's taxes. Mm-hmm. So why was the IRS formed and when was it formed? Boy, it was, it was formed back in the earlier 1900s, right? And it was, it was to me, an unconstitutional thing, right? Because <laughs> it was, it, it's just the, it was formed when the government needed to start collecting more money, right? But the whole concept of progressive, sorry, I was about to sneeze. I am going to sneeze, <laughs> but we'll, we'll just avoid that whole thing. So <laughs> I, I went away. So, so progressive income taxes is a communist idea, right? Where the more that you make, the more taxes that you pay. See, technically you wouldn't need an IRS if all we had was a consumption tax, like a national sales tax. When you go to the store and they have a tax on something that you buy, well, that's a consumption tax. That would be more fair, and that's called a fair tax. But an IRS was actually put together to start taxing people's income. And then a progressive income tax is actually very unfair. It's like a, it's like the worst of all things, because the more money you make, the higher the tax rate becomes. And so it de-incentivizes people to want to work really hard, because the more you make, it's not just that you're paying more taxes, the, the rate of taxes that you pay goes up. So is the IRS owned by the government? It's a government ag- agency, yeah. 
So, um, but yet it, it never really should have been passed because it's unconstitutional in my opinion on what it does, but, but it is the law of the land, right? Whether it's constitutional or unconstitutional, um, this is what was put into place and it's been there for so long that people just accept it as being there to collect people for the government. But, but in reality, it's not fair. It should just simply be a fair consumption tax, which is how the founding fathers wanted taxation to be based on what you consume and what you spend, not on, on this progressive ideology of what you make. That's, that's communism. Mm-hmm. So how does the IRS affect an entrepreneur like me? Well, whenever you make something, you're going to have taxes that you have to pay. You're, and there's all kinds of them. It's not just income tax on the money that you make. There's there's use taxes. There's sales taxes. There's property taxes on the building that you would uh, do business out of, right? There's tax after tax after tax after tax, right? So, so but really the IRS is, is basically what's collecting your income tax from the money that you make. So, you start a business, you start selling stuff, um, and the more you make, the more taxes that you're going to pay. And that goes then to, to actually allow the government to have a military, have education, have all this stuff, which always embroils us in political conflict. It's like, should these things even be done by the federal government? No, a lot of them should be held up to the states. So in, in not just the IRS, you've got state tax collecting authorities You've got toll roads that basically is a tax on use, right? So there's taxes everywhere that we look, Abigail, and it's really gotten out of control. Yeah, so you're just saying about state taxes. What are the difference between federal and state taxes? What are the diff- what's the difference? Well, they're different governments, right? So the state has some services that they provide, like your school system and so forth, and some municipalities, there's municipal taxes, like the city that you live in. And the federal government, again, that's where all your entitlements, your welfare, um, Medicare, uh, you've got the military, you've got infrastructure, you've got all this stuff that they ultimately pay for that they shouldn't. So you've got layers, you've got federal taxes, you've got state taxes, you've got county taxes, you've got city taxes, You've got special use taxes like toll roads and things like that. You've got bonds that are issued, which is basically like mill levy taxes for your school districts, right? I mean, it's just everywhere you look, there's taxes. Yeah. So what is the difference? I've been hearing about an IRA, but what is the difference between an IRA and an IRS? The IRS. Well, the IRS is... is that the entity that actually collects your taxes an IRA is a retirement account. You know, the only thing in common is the first two letters, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, but yeah, an IRA is an investment account that actually doesn't collect taxes. So, and what is the, what is the role of church and society in all of this? Well, the church is, is the moral backbone, right? It's, it's why, you know, you learn from there to become better moral people, right? So the church, you know, when, when we go to a church, 
you know, it's God's command to actually tithe and give 10% of your income to the church. So it should be up to the church to take care of widows and orphans and those in need. Never the government, right? So, but not many people in the church actually give. And this is the problem because there was a void that was created and therefore the government then says, oh, we'll fill that void. We'll just collect taxes and pay for it. And that's how they get political control. But they're doing something that the church should have been done. That's a very good question. Mm-hmm. So is so now that we're going um, on to taxes, is gold and silver taxable? Yes. Um, anytime you sell an investment, there's a capital gains tax on it. Whether it's gold, silver, stock, bond, mutual fund, anything, whenever you sell something and you have a gain, you're going to be taxed on it. Mm-hmm. So does gold and silver hold value better than t- better when taxes go up? Well, it really doesn't really have anything to do with the taxes. Um, taxes is just the way that the government makes money. It's gold and silver investment that thrive on political uncertainty and chaos, right? So inflation, um, boy, the political conflict, the rising interest rates, that's what causes gold and silver to go up. And that's what causes other assets to come down like stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So does your, um, does your team help with, with tax planning? No, we're not accountants. Um, I mean, I know enough about it to help advise people, but when it comes to taxes, you should always talk to an accountant. Mm Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing your time with us. So if you want to talk to Dr. Kirk's team, go to the number on the screen, which is 720-605-3900 to talk to Dr. Kirk's team. Well, see you later, Dr. Kirk. Have a good day. We'll see you. Thank you. get a PhD in economics by being stupid, right? They know exactly what they're doing is my point, right? So so they took $2.5 trillion out of the system. They also um, took the reserve requirement to zero. Okay, so normally if you put 100 bucks in deposit $100 into your checking or savings account, if the reserve requirement's 10, means they keep $10 back, they lend out 90. And of that 90, they'd keep $9 out and lend out 81, right? It's fractional reserve banking. You have a reserve requirement. Well, last year, they they brought it to zero. So banks don't have to have any money on hand, right? And they already took two and a half trillion out. So you look at those two things, banks are strapped for capital. They're illiquid, right? There's nothing there. So then what happened in November of 2022, which we didn't know about until, you know, mid-January, right? Because a video was leaked of an FDIC meeting. I don't think you have much hope of of reaching a public that doesn't have a professional need to know. I I completely agree with that. I almost think you'd scare the public if you put this out. Like, why are they telling me this? Should I be concerned about my bank? Like, my insurance company doesn't tell me what they're doing with my assets. They just assume they're going to pay my claim. Right. It's, it's, I think you've got to think of the unintended consequences of taking a public that has more full faith and confidence in the banking system than maybe people in this room do, <laughs> that we want them to have full faith and confidence in the banking system. They know the FDIC insurance is there. They know it works. They put their money in. They're going to get their money out. So there, there's a select crowd 
of people that are in the institutional side. And if they want to understand this, they're going to find a way to understand this. There's a bunch of law firms represented in this room. There's a bunch of people that will charge them by the hour a lot of money to explain this all to them. And, and, and it's fine. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with that. And they all have huge staffs. But I would be careful about the unintended consequences of starting to blast too much of this out in the general public. What did they talk about in this FDIC meeting? Okay, this is where it gets a little bit squirrely. So there's these FDIC officials and they're talking and they're saying, you know, interrupted. So somebody, there was like a bootleg video that happened during the meeting and they probably heard, oh boy, we should probably get this one on video is what they were thinking. Because these guys are talking and saying, we can't let the public know about this. If we let the public know about this, it could it could have unintended consequences, right? And then, but we have to let the bankers know that there's an, an impending market collapse, right? It's like words have meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, you're writers, you're, you're producers, and you know that words have meaning, right? So yeah. it's not like they were saying there's a collapse coming five, 10 years down the road. No, an impending market impending. collapse. Mm-hmm that we can't let the public know about what we're going to be talking about here because it would have unintended consequences. What are the unintended consequences? A run on the bank. Wow. Well, what, what they were talking about. So this is FDIC, right? So the, the, the insurance that every one of us has on our bank accounts, our bank account should be the safest thing that we have, right? It's not tied to the stock market. It's not tied to the bond market. So we think, but you know what? Yes, it is. Yeah. Because what do banks do with that money that you deposit? They invest it into the stock market, bond market. They give real estate loans. They do whatever banks do to yep. make money. So it is tied to the market. So FDIC, we're all accustomed to opening up a checking account. We have $250,000 of the coverage on that account. So we don't have to worry about it going away. Or do we? <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so this is what this meeting was about. And, and so what, it, what we know now after this meeting is that the FDIC has $125 billion of assets. How many bank deposits are they covering with that $125 billion? $9 trillion. So there's $9 trillion worth of checking savings account, you know, people in America that have money in the banking system. It's only covered with $125 billion. What is that percentage? That's 1.388% of all deposits in America in the banking system are actually covered by FDIC. 